friends. Welcome to Brainworms, the podcast that fucking I don't know. I did I can't think of anything to say. I'm drawing a blank. David, say something funny. Something funny. Uh, it's the podcast that we do because oh fuck. Uh this intro is great. <laughs> yeah, this is really warming them up. <laughs> it's the podcast where we uh chew grass and grow more stomachs sure if this is your first episode you have clicked stop uh, <laughs> and if you haven't welcome to our subscriber list <laughs> let's be real if this is their 14th episode they've clicked stop that's yeah. valid ah my voice squeaked a little bit you just went like straight up what is it peter brady yeah yeah or was it bobby i don't i don't, I don't know who, who the hell knows none of this matters uh God, nobody cares it, about the brady boys <laughs> not since fucking 1974 brady boys what's that when did the brady bunch go off the air do you know off the top of your head no <laughs> no who knows <laughs> or cares it went off the air when the sexual tension between the, the eldest son and that maid got too hot oh no the eldest son was straight up fucking the mom you and i remember the brady bunch very differently <laughs> i mean not in the show but in real life oh I did not know that. Yeah, the actor that played the eldest son and the uh, actress who played the mom, apparently, if I'm remembering my, like, 40-year-old television drama correctly, apparently had some sort of an affair for a while, and that contributed to the show ending up going off the air. Huh. Not the worst decision to make. That's really interesting. I did not know that. Learn something new every day. They also went to King's Island one time on the Brady Bunch. Really? That's cool. They did. Yeah, there's an episode where they go to King's Island of all places. Huh. Was that show even set in Ohio or did they just need an amusement park for an episode? They just needed an amusement park for an episode. Fair enough. Oh, fuck. I'm Joe. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm David. <laughs> I'm Kane. And I'm Chris. And we're going to keep reading Origin. For some reason. Dan Brown's... I think most recent novel, because we've read a couple of Dan Brown books, and I believe our aim was to try to get his most recent work and gauge if he's improved as a writer. Last week, I don't think we felt like it had. Uh, well, he sure has Danceptioned. <laughs> the only thing that's missing is for the main characters to have the same name, and it's the name of the writer. This is very mysterious, Dan. What do you think, Dan? I don't know, Dan. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised, and many writers, many better writers have done this. I'm kind of surprised that Dan Brown hasn't self-inserted. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what he does in his private time. (laughs) (laughs) That was really good. (laughs) David, as you said that joke, I was consciously thinking, like, how do I turn that into a joke? But you just did it instinctively. That's what I do, Chris. (laughs) I drink and I joke things. Yeah. Uh, you're doing so well. Yeah, well, you know, disappointment is really just what I'm here for. <laughs> I mean, that's really the point of this podcast. <laughs> Set them up that? and let them down. Yep. Isn't, isn't there a quote <laughs> of, like, get used to disappointment? Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's that from? I don't know. Life. Also, if you get used to the disappointment, don't you cease to be disappointed? Because you're expecting what comes? Based on all of human history, no. There's always a lower bar. Also, the Princess Bride is what that's from. I was thinking that, but I wasn't sure. Never doubt yourself. Yeah, no, it totally just came to me. It's uh, Wesley talking to Buttercup. Rock on. Or no, uh, to 
fucking Inigo. Inigo. It is Inigo. <laughs> I must know. Who are you? And get used to disappointment. Yeah. Okay. That was a joke. I, I love that sword fight scene. I love that movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. <sighs> instead of listening to this, just watch The Princess Bride. Why don't, a, instead you, of doing a podcast, why don't we just watch Princess Bride every Friday? <laughs> just every Friday we watch The Princess Bride. That would be a weird podcast to do. Just like every week we watch the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets to a point where we're just droning out the lines word for word. <laughs> like, they're more Princess Bride than man. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we're going to learn about Edmund Kirsch, philanthropist, linguist, astronaut, cowboy, pirate. He's a Dan Brown character. They're all kind of the same. They usually want to do everything and then get the chance to. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually very privileged intellectuals that are also adventurers that also get the hot girl. It's, you know, it's a Dan Brown book. So I watched something oh, last yeah. night. I, I watched... Uh, a movie called Transylvania 65000. Interesting, okay. It's uh, from like 1985, and I remember being a kid and watching the movie and having very like positive memories of it. Mm -hmm. And I saw it on Amazon Prime, and I was like, I'm going to watch that. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Sure. It's got Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and Ed Bagley Jr. in it. How bad could it be? It's a good cast. It's also got, uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy that plays the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's just like the mid-80s sort of low-tier villain guy. Mm-hmm. For a second, I was about to scream out Eugene Levy, but that's not how the that's principal That's not right. <laughs> that's no. the teacher. But... It has not aged well. Mm. Has Is not aged the, well. I'm a vampire! Movie? No, it's uh, a couple of reporters who work for a tabloid are sent to Transylvania to investigate a Frankenstein sighting. Okay. And the movie doesn't take itself seriously at all, which I think is a mark in its favor. It's definitely a farce and just meant to be one of those little like romp comedy sort of sure. screwball things the 90s and the 80s loved those yes at one point you know it's like where is transylvania i don't know over there somewhere vaguely pointing and then they show up in transylvania and everything's written in english but people <laughs> have accents really bad kind of vague this is an accent accents sure sure um and then it's just basically a whole bunch of Really bad like gender trope stuff like there's mm. a, a married couple that are constantly fighting because she's the clingy wife and he's the put-upon husband right and jeff goldblum's character doesn't give a shit about anything that's happening in the actual movie because he's just trying to get laid by this single mom who happens to be there too i thought you were about to say jeff goldblum doesn't give a shit back to the movie <laughs> <laughs> but it yeah, a random tangent of unnecessary information for you all there, but uh oh, okay, I thought you were going to draw a connection between that and origin. I mean, I could. I might have had a point when I started out, but it doesn't uh, matter. It's, you just wanted to tell us about a movie you watched that wasn't all that good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we were we were talking about Princess Bride and right. a good movie and then I remembered how bad that movie was and That makes sense. And I was let down because, I mean, that is a hell of a cast. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I guess I'm going to remind you to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com where you can give us your money via Patreon and check out all of our things we do. Things we do? Things we do. The things we, we never say. Things we do for love. Every time you do that thing you do. Yeah, let's do this bullshit. <laughs> Alright. Well, let's go. The wind whipped harder as they arrived at the ancient stone edifice. Inside the dim light of the building's entryway, the air was heavy with the thick fragrance of burning frankincense. Mm, thick. And myrrh. And gold! The two men snaked through a maze of dark corridors, and Kirsch's eyes fought to adjust as he followed his cloaked host. Finally, they arrived at an unusually small wooden door. The bishop knocked, ducked <laughs> down, like door and entered. Hobbits? Motioning for his guests to follow, apparently. Why is it No, it's a door for children. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's a door for ants. Like the door in Willy Wonka. No, it's like the layer of it, only it's Catholic priests that are consuming the children. In order to get into my inner sanctum, you have to go through my secret cubby hole. <laughs> it's either like the door at the end of the hall in Willy Wonka, mm -hmm. or... Like the door that leads into Malkovich's brain. Oh, yeah. We represent the Catholic Church, the Catholic <laughs> Church, the Catholic Church. Uncertain, Kirsch stepped over the threshold. He found himself in a rectangular chamber whose high walls burgeoned with ancient leather-bound tomes. Additional freestanding bookshelves jutted out of the walls like ribs, interspersed with cast-iron radiators that clanged and hissed giving the room the eerie sense that it was alive. The radiators were interesting, too. They were like livers. <laughs> Kirsch raised his eyes to the ornately balustrated walkway that encircled the second story and knew without a doubt where he was. I like the word balustrade. Yeah. I'll balustrate your walkway. It sounds like something that your bowels would do. I hope that is not the case for you ever. <laughs> <laughs> the famed Library of Montserrat, he realized. Startled to have been admitted, this sacred room was rumored to contain uniquely rare texts accessible only to those monks who had devoted their lives to God and who were sequestered here on this mountain. And then paid very highly to not tell anyone what was in the <laughs> sacred text. <laughs> you asked for discretion, the bishop said. This is our most private space. Few outsiders have ever entered. A generous privilege. Thank you. Kirsch followed the bishop to a large wooden table where two elderly men sat waiting. The man on the left looked time-worn, with tired eyes and a matted white beard. He wore a crumpled black suit, white shirt, and fedora. This is Rabbi Yehuda Kovis, the bishop said. He is a prominent Jewish philosopher who has written extensively on Kabbalistic cosmology. Kirsch reached across the table and politely shook hands with Rabbi Kovis. A pleasure to meet you, sir, Kirsch said. I've read your books on Kabbalah. I can't say I understand them, but I've read them. If they don't mention sacred geometry in this, I'm going to be very disappointed. I absolutely guarantee they will. Mm -hmm. Kovis gave an amiable nod, dabbing at his watery eyes with his handkerchief. And here, the bishop continued, motioning to the other man, you have the respected alama, Sayyid al-Fadl. The revered Islamic scholar stood up and smiled broadly. He was short and squat with a jovial face that seemed a mismatch with his dark penetrating eyes. He was dressed in an unassuming white thob. And, Mr. Kirch, I have read your predictions on the future of mankind. 
I can't say I agree with them, but I have read them. I wish the Mortal Kombat tournament would hurry up and start. (laughs) Kirsch gave a gracious smile and shook the man's head. And our guest, Edmund Kirsch, the bishop concluded, addressing his two colleagues, as you know, is a highly regarded computer scientist, game theorist, inventor, and something of a prophet in the technological world. That's just a game theory. (sighs) God, I hate that guy. (laughs) Considering his background... Wait, I was wait, puzzled. Well, hang on, hang on. Why would the religious people know about this fuck dump of an atheist religious guy? You like, as you know, he is totally this guy. Because he's highly regarded. He's yeah. famous. He's he's well known and a public figure. Mm-hmm. And like, they know just that because he's they're religious doesn't mean they don't have access to the secular world. Yeah. No, but they're like sequestered priests. They live in a temple. No. They they no. Don't. These are just regular religious leaders that happen to oh, be at this convention. Okay. Yeah, they're not locked in this library. They're allowed to leave it. There's a Jewish and Islamic guy, yeah, a rabbi and an amala who are hanging out at a ancient Catholic monastery. Really, I'm I pretty they sure they don't live there. <sighs> okay. Considering his background, I was puzzled by his request to address the three of us. Therefore, I shall now leave it to Mr. Kirsch to explain why he has come. With that, Bishop Valdespino took a seat between his two colleagues, folded his hands, and gazed up expectantly at Kirsch. All three men faced him like a tribunal, creating an ambiance more like that of an inquisition than a friendly meeting of scholars. The bishop, Kirsch now realized, had not even set out a chair for him. They'll never expect (laughs) the atheist (laughs) inquisition. Put him in the comfy chair. Apparently this guy doesn't get a chair, so. Yeah, yeah. That was unexpected. (laughs) Goddamn David. Kirsch felt more (laughs) bemused than intimidated as he studied the three aging men before him. So this is the holy trinity I requested, the three wise men. Pausing a moment to assert his power, Kirsch walked over to the window and gazed out at the breathtaking panorama. A really good below. beer. Say that, what? That's kind of wait. That's kind of weird. Three like, philosophers, wait. not the three wise men. My oh. apologies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three philosophers is a really good beer. I have to try it. Add in more religious illusions, please. I do find it kind of weird that fields like, emptiness, eternity keeps swallowing digestive benefactors whose silence don't mean anything. I wish I knew what you were. What you were referencing? I understood that reference. Yeah, deep down trauma hounds, man. I don't know what's going on. So I think it's kind Skinny of puppy. weird. Mm-hmm. This priest gave this introduction to this guy and and was like, "All right, we're here. We are ready to hear what you have to say." And then he just goes and looks out a window like he's fucking Batman. <laughs> <laughs> he is fucking Batman. You don't know? Dan Brown's writing Batman into his anti-religious books. <laughs> God, I want that. to be fair he does lead with pausing a moment to assert his power so this is kirsch this is a power move this is kirsch playing a power move yeah he's brought these Mm. people together he said hey i want to talk to you he gets introduced and it's given the floor wait hang on hang on if this is a character that is so disdainful of religion why would he feel the need to assert himself before well apparently this whole thing is some kind of power play like he's got some kind of knowledge that he's it's bringing. dan brown jerking himself off that's really all it is i mean isn't that true about all creative arts though just no 
No. Some creative no, this... masturbating themselves? Yeah, pretty much. No, no, not really. Some people create for the joy of creation. Like I masturbate Tolkien. for the joy of masturbating. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I masturbate like... to get the poison out. And, and, and this is like we're getting way in the weeds again. Uh, but I feel like all art has an element of, of self-indulgence. Well, is it yeah. mindless? It, it oh just God. depends on like what you're indulging. For instance, Tolkien was indulging in his like he was being creative. He wanted to create things. Dan, uh, who, who's this author again? Dan Brown. Dan Brown. Yeah. yeah. Dan Brown wants to make sure that everyone knows that he's smarter than religious mm. people. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. He's smarter than everyone. It's not just religious I people. don't know, guys. Is it fair to say... Because right now, this chapter, this section, mm-hmm. is from the point of view, very specifically from yeah. the point of view of Edmund Kirsch. Okay, okay, yeah. I have to, yeah. So, I mean, we... Touche. Art versus author, you know? Right. You, no, that's fair. Although, isn't... I think Langdon, whatever the fuck, the actual main character of this book, mm-hmm. is also that character in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, they, they do sort of take a... We're going to look at all of these sacred cows and slaughter them right out in the broad daylight kind of tag, mm-hmm. you know? like No, not a Tumla. Where will we get our mead? <laughs> but, uh... I don't know. I relent to your point, David, but I am going to bet money against you that this is character's not going to evolve beyond this point, or it's just going to keep this tone. Yeah, no, I honestly, my expectation is that after we get through the prologue here, mm-hmm. again, we're not going to see Edmund Kirsch until, like the end of the book right where he'll probably be dead because someone will have killed him to stop Mm -hmm. him from revealing whatever thing it is that he knows that's going to destroy religion forever sure let's see how that goes actually i'd like to get to the end of this chapter well we have another two pages (laughs) okay cool let's do it i expect that to take us about 45 minutes yeah this is a five page prologue Mm -hmm. Pausing a moment to assert his power, Kirsch walked over to the window and gazed out at the breathtaking panorama below. A sunlit patchwork of ancient pastoral lands stretched across a deep valley, giving way to the rugged peaks of the Colcerola mountain range. Miles below, somewhere out over the Balearic Sea, a menacing bank of storm clouds was now gathering on the horizon. (gasps) I've heard of this! Guys, have you heard of foreshadowing? (laughs) I don't listen to (laughs) hip-hop. This is foreshadowing with a sledgehammer, so. (laughs) Like, do you get it? Yeah. Bad things are about to happen. (laughs) And then the immediate following line. Fitting, Kirsch thought, sensing the turbulence he would soon cause in this room and in the world beyond. (laughs) Gentlemen, he commenced, turning abruptly back toward them. I think we broke Chris. I think Chris is done. He's done. That's like that's like a line I would expect from Deadpool. He's done, guys. He's done. Stick a fork in it. Stick a fork in him. He's done. All right, come on. Gentlemen. Sorry, I became Dr. Weird there for a minute. You did. Um, gentlemen, he commenced, turning abruptly back toward them. I believe Bishop Valdespino has already conveyed to you my request for secrecy, 
Before we continue, I just want to clarify that what I am about to share with you must be kept in the strictest confidence. Simply stated, I am asking for a vow of silence from all of you. Are we in agreement? All three men gave nods of tacit acquiescence, which Kirsch knew were probably redundant anyway. They will want to bury this information, not broadcast it. I am here today, Kirsch began, because I have made a scientific discovery I believe you will find startling. It is something I have pursued for many years, hoping to provide answers to two of the most fundamental questions of our human experience. Now that I've succeeded, I have come to you specifically because I believe this information will affect the world's faithful in a profound way, quite possibly causing a shift that can only be described as, shall we say, disruptive. At the moment, I am the only person on Earth who has the information I am about to reveal to you. Uh, uh, hang on, David. We need to take like a five-minute break because my eyes can't roll up into my skull anymore and it's starting to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say that one fundamental issue I take with this premise so far, and maybe it's just the hubris of Kirsch as a character, mm -hmm. but the idea that any any scientific discovery anything put in mm -hmm. front of the faithful right would shake their belief do you yeah. have any is... i was about to say do you have any idea how many things we've discovered that like hey with this discovery it puts a lot of that religious stuff into question and then they just hand wave and fumble fuck their way around it and move on yeah or you know bananas prove that god exists because they fit in your right. hand yeah like, I think you would have to have a recording of God saying, I don't exist. That's, yeah, that's the new, can God create a rock so heavy he can't <laughs> lift it? Can God create a recording of himself saying he doesn't exist when he doesn't exist? Yeah. Quick aside, because I have the back of the book in front of me. Not literally. I didn't buy this book. This person is a student of, of Robert Langdon. Oh, who, no. I'm pretty confident is a Dan Brown self-insert. You can agree mm, or disagree. Gotcha. So th there's some reading in that one can do. Sure. Okay. So this wasn't written by Dan Brown? It was. It no, was. Kirsch. Yeah. The character Kirsch is a student oh, of the oh. character Langdon. Who's the main character of the Da Vinci Code series. Who is a slightly less, like, I don't think he plays squash. Yeah. Which might be the only way to really differentiate him from the main character of Digital Fortress. Yeah. You know, ladies, you know you found the perfect man when you found a guy that plays squash. <laughs> Kirsch reached into his suit coat and pulled out an oversized smartphone. One that he had designed and built to serve his own unique needs. Okay. That's okay. The phone had a vibrantly colored mosaic case, and he propped it up before the three men like a television. In a moment, he would use the device to dial into an ultra-secure server, Can enter you just done his 47-character password, and live-stream a presentation for them. Why is this a phone? He needed to invent this phone, alright? Back up off it, okay? <laughs> what you are about to see, Kirsch said, is a rough cut of an announcement I hope to share with the world, perhaps in a month or so. But before I do... I wanted to consult with a few of the world's most influential religious thinkers to gain insight into how this news will be received by those it affects most. Perhaps in a month or so, giving plenty of time for people that would find this heresy to come and kill me in my hotel room in room 304. 
The bishop sighed loudly, sounding more bored than concerned. Relatable. An, an intriguing <laughs> preamble, Mr. Kirsch. You speak as if whatever you are about to show us will shake the foundations of the world's religions. David, I need you to read that again, but I need you to pause before you speak as if whatever you say will shake the foundation. I need you to read it like that. I think you just did that. Yeah, I, I pretty much did. No, it wasn't on the nose enough. I, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Kirsch glanced around the ancient repository of sacred texts. It will not shake your foundations. It will shatter them. Uh Shake the foundations uh of those thick thighs. Kirsch appraised the men before him. What they did not know was that in only three days' time, Kirsch planned to go public with this presentation in a stunning, meticulously choreographed event. When he did, people across the world would realize that the teachings of all religions did indeed have one thing in common. They were all dead wrong. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. This book is to Reddit, that, which is the Bible to Christians. <laughs> I feel like, the, like no one tell Reddit this book exists or it, Reddit will be officially become a religion. <sighs> <sighs> Professor Robert Langdon gazed up at the 40 foot tall dog sitting in the plaza. The I animal's love that dog. fur That's awesome. A... <laughs> <laughs> it's Clifford. Yeah. The animal's fur was a living carpet of grass and fragrant flowers. I'm trying to love you, he thought. I truly am. Dan Brown's father to him. (laughs) (laughs) Langdon pondered the creature a bit longer and then continued along a suspended walkway, descending a sprawling terrace of stairs whose uneven treads were intended to jar the arriving visitor from his usual rhythm and gait. It's like a giant chia pet. (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished, Langdon decided, nearly stumbling twice on the irregular steps. At the bottom of the stairs, Langdon jolted to a stop, staring at a massive object that loomed ahead. Now I've seen it all. A towering black widow spider rose before him, its slender iron legs supporting a bulbous body at least thirty feet in the air. Oh, please be Shelob. On the spider's underbelly hung a wire mesh egg sack filled with glass orbs. Her name is Mammon. A voice said. No, her name is Shelob. <laughs> Langdon lowered his gaze and saw a slender man standing beneath the spider. What? Slender man? Holy shit. He wore a black Run brocade shirwani and had an almost comical curling Salvador Dali mustache. My name is Fernando. There was something in the air that night. The stars were bright. Fernando. <laughs> he continued, and I'm here to welcome you to the museum. The man perused a collection of name tags on a table before him. May I have your name, please? Don't do it. Don't do it. That's a fae trick. (laughs) That's how they get you. You're going to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the fae realm (laughs) and get replaced with a changeling. Whatever happens, don't give them a tooth from your childhood or a piece of hair. Don't Don't eat anything. Don't eat anything, yeah. Especially pomegranates. Certainly. Robert Langdon. The man's eyes shot back up. Ah! I am so sorry. I did not recognize you, sir. I barely recognize myself, Langdon thought. Advancing <laughs> I'm so stiffly, fucking high right now. <laughs> advancing stiffly in his white bow tie, black tails, and white waistcoat. I look like a whiffenpoof. Um, is that like, I don't, a, is that like a, a old person reference that you guys get and I don't? I don't know what that word means. No. I have no idea, but it's capitalized. <laughs> Wait, let's go on this adventure. All right, Google, <laughs> what is a whiffin' 
Let's do that on our own time. Let's finish this up. <laughs> I look like a whiffin' poof. Langdon's classic tales were almost 30 years old, preserved from his days as a member of the Ivy Club at Princeton. But thanks to his faithful daily regimen of swimming laps, the outfit still oh fit him gosh. fairly well. In Langdon's haste to pack, he had grabbed the wrong hanging bag from his closet, leaving his usual tuxedo behind. I mean, regular daily exercise is not a bad thing. I know. It just it just automatically put me into fight or flight because of uh, Digital <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fortress. I get it. I get it. I just immediately thought of like Fred Rogers and how he would go every day and swim laps. Mm-hmm. So I went to a much more pleasant place. I don't think like I, I found some references to uh barbershop quartet style singers from Yale. That's probably what it is. That sounds right, yeah. yeah. But beyond that, uh a whiff and puff was a tool for training Boy Scouts in tracking skills. Huh. It has to be the first thing. Yeah, I'm thinking it's not that. And, and you, you guys know those, like, uh, I think I, I believe it was like the 18th century photos where no one smiled and everyone was in like really tight, stiffy suits and such. Yeah. That was kind of the, oh, oh, with a poof, a stereotypical student at Yale University. There you go. In Langdon's haste to pack, he had grabbed the wrong hanging bag from his closet, leaving his usual tuxedo behind. The invitation said black and white, Langdon said. I trust tails are appropriate. Tails are a classic. You look dashing. The man scurried over and carefully pressed a name tag to the lapel of Langdon's jacket. It is an honor to meet you, sir, the mustached man said. No doubt you've visited us before? Langdon gazed through the spider's legs at the glistening building before them. Actually, I'm embarrassed to say I've never been. No, the man feigned falling over. You're not a fan of modern art? Langdon had always enjoyed the challenge of modern art, primarily the exploration of why particular works were hailed as masterpieces. Jackson Pollock's drip paintings, Andy Warhol's Campbell's soup cans, Mark Rothko's simple rectangles of color. Even so, Langdon was far more comfortable discussing the religious symbolism of Hieronymus Bosch or the brushwork of Francisco de Goya. I like Rothko a lot, too. I want to make a quick distinction. Because this sounds a lot like we're learning about... What's this character's name again? Robert Langdon. Yes, it sounds like we're learning about Langdon, but it's deceptive. We're not learning about him as a character. We're learning about what Dan Brown wants you to think about Langdon. Isn't that... I mean, that's kind of what happens when writers write characters, though. No, you can write a character and you can like put in a specific set of characteristics and then just kind of simulate how this person deals with things and you're kind of exploring it yourself. I feel like Dan Brown has a very specific thing. I don't know what this puts me in mind of, and this is the fifth Langdon book in the Da Vinci Code, which is the only other one that I've read Mm -hmm. of them. It also starts at a museum, isn't it? the louvre i believe it is the louvre yeah yeah so maybe this is a thing Mm -hmm. where every single one of these starts at some museum and i think that dan brown kind of understands his place in literature in that his books are on like supermarket shelves and you know places where you wouldn't necessarily go to buy a book so ideally you should be able to pick up any book that he's published and just start it and feel caught up like you haven't missed 
four books of continuity. Right. And he seems to understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's the books seem to be sort of isolated incidents yeah. that are happening inside of this same character's life. Mm-hmm rather than any sort of continuing narrative. Right. And, and I don't uh, I could think be that's wrong. a bad Again, thing. you know, like page three of chapter one is not the place to make that sure. assertion. But especially after having only ever read one other one of them. Mm-hmm. But I do like the, at least in this bit, you know, the, the fact that this book starts with him at a modern art museum. And, you know, we, we get this kind of discussion of modern art versus classical art Mm -hmm. and personally i am a big fan of modern art and classical art so but yeah like i don't feel like him giving you enough insight into the protagonist to at least understand them well enough to get through this book i think that's fine i'm more of a classicist langdon replied i do better with da vinci than with de kooning but da vinci and de kooning are so similar langdon smiled patiently then I clearly have a bit to learn about de Kooning. Well, you've come to the right place. The man swung his arm toward the massive building. In this museum, you will find one of the finest collections of modern art on earth. I do hope you enjoy. I intend to, Langdon replied. I only wish I knew why I'm here. You and everyone else. The man laughed merrily, shaking his head. I ask Your myself host... that a lot when we record this podcast. <laughs> Your host has been very secretive about the purpose of tonight's event. Not even the museum's staff knows what's happening. The mystery is half the fun of it. Rumors are running wild. There are several hundred guests inside, many famous faces, and nobody has any idea what's on the agenda tonight. That's a weird way to handle your museum event, but okay. Right? Hey, you know, famous person whose name recognition is probably important to whatever we're promoting. Come to our thing at the museum. Well, why? What is it? Fuck you. Just come. <laughs> There's going to be canapes. Don't worry about it. Will there be little hot dogs and little buns? Now Langdon grinned. Very few hosts on Earth would have the bravado to send out last minute invitations that essentially read, Saturday night, be there. And I ain't got Trust nobody. Trust me. And even fewer would be able to persuade hundreds of VIPs to drop everything and fly to northern Spain to attend the event. Langdon walked out from beneath the spider and continued along the pathway, glancing up at an enormous red banner that billowed overhead. An evening with Edmund Kirsch. Edmund has certainly never lacked confidence, Langdon thought, amused. Some twenty years ago, young Eddie Kirsch had been one of Langdon's first students at Harvard University a mop-haired computer geek whose interest in codes had led him to Langdon's freshman seminar, Code Ciphers in the Language of Symbols. The sophistication of Kirsch's intellect had impressed Langdon deeply, and although Kirsch eventually abandoned the dusty world of semiotics for the shining promise of computers, he and Langdon had developed a student-teacher bond that had kept them in contact over the past two decades since Kirsch's graduation. Now the student has surpassed his teacher, Langdon thought, by several light-years. Today, Edmund Kirsch was a world-renowned maverick, a billionaire computer scientist, futurist, inventor, and entrepreneur. (sighs) The 40-year-old had fathered an astounding array of advanced technologies that represented major leaps forward in fields as diverse as robotics, brain science, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology. Are we getting an Elon Musk analog? Because I don't really want that. Yeah, that's what he's coming through as here to me. Like, And 
not only that, but all of these advancements allowed him to become the first astronaut cowboy space pirate. <laughs> no, that was Yoshimitsu, and nothing can ever take that away from him. <laughs> and his accurate predictions about future scientific breakthroughs had created a mystical aura about the man. Langdon suspected that Edmund's eerie knack for prognostication stemmed from his astoundingly broad knowledge of the world around him. For as long as Langdon could remember, Edmund had been an insatiable bibliophile, reading everything in sight. The man's passion for books and his capacity for absorbing their contents surpassed anything Langdon had ever witnessed. For the past few years, Kirsch had lived primarily in Spain, attributing his choice to an ongoing love affair with the country's old-world charm, avant-garde architecture, eccentric gin bars, and perfect weather. I mean, that's why I love Spain. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard your Spain stories. <laughs> Once a year, when Kirsch returned to Cambridge to speak at the MIT Media Lab, Langdon would join him for a meal at one of the trendy new Boston hotspots that Langdon had never heard of. Their conversations were never about technology. All Kirsch ever wanted to discuss with Langdon was the arts. You're my culture connection, Robert, Kirsch often joked, my own private Bachelor of Arts. The playful jab at Langdon's marital status was particularly ironic coming from a fellow bachelor who denounced monogamy as an affront to evolution, and had been photographed with a wide range of supermodels over the years. <sighs> Considering Kirsch's reputation as an innovator in computer science, one could easily have imagined him being a buttoned-up techno-nerd. But he had instead- I'm buttoned up your techno-nerd. What? Say it again, baby. Guys, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm really struggling to pay attention. Like I'm I'm trying, and I'll I'll look, and I, there's a a gold coin that my grandfather gave me, and I'll look at that, and then I'll start thinking about my my grandfather, God rest his soul, and uh, and then I'll just be somewhere else, and I'll look up, and all of a sudden five minutes is gone. <laughs> like, Dan I'm... Brown's boner for his main characters is so obnoxious. That might just be me, and like you know whatever. No, you it's can, not just you. You can read whatever into my psychology, but. He just wanks all over his fucking protagonist. No, see, Joe, the thing is... And I is hate that, it. Joe, what you're not getting is that the most interesting characters in all of storytelling since the beginning of time are perfectly flawless people that are... that they're, They have no room left for improvement in their life, and they have no room left to grow. That's why we love Star Wars, where Luke starts out as a space cowboy Jedi Master and doesn't <laughs> grow as a person. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really the basic premise of the hero's stasis. <laughs> stasis. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so good, David. That's so that. hero's stasis. Nice. Get the lawyers on the horror. Trademarking that. That's so good. Dan Brown and his innovation in creating the hero's stasis. <laughs> Let's just stop the episode. We're not topping that. Don't forget to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com. Check us out on Discord. Support us on Patreon. Thank you for listening, and we are very sorry. This has been a production of Brainworms Presents. Any copyrighted content contained within is used for purposes of review. Brainworms Podcast is David Combs, Kane Magdalene, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. The theme music is HodgePod Number 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard... You can support us and learn about our other projects at wegiveyoubrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app.
I masturbate for the joy of masturbating. We represent the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church.